by you know what po possessing the economic gain possessing your priesthood and we were able to cover um ahab and jezebel you know within the context of you know how they way they affected the economy of israel so this evening uh we are just looking real quickly at to possess the gates. Remember, I told you there are seven things you have to possess if you possess economic gates. Um, I said you possess the spirit realm, you possess priesthood. And this evening, I just want to quickly touch on people. But what the people I want to talk about are people at the gate. The people at the gates that you need to possess. Um, so I want to, the first person I want to look at real quickly. Um, so there are three people at your gates that you must um be most mindful about catching you know people three people at your gates that you should be most uh, mindful about so you have um number one absalom number two you have your mordecai at your gate and number three um you know there is not you don't have to be mindful but lots so i want to talk about mordecai um, and Absalom because you always have to ask yourself are you a Mordecai are you an Absalom are you a Sambalat or are you a Tobias um, because these people were all at the gates and the, the actions that they took greatly affected um, their cities their nations and the territories within which they dwelt so let's go in real quickly um, now in Samuel just one second. Okay. All right. Now, in Second Samuel fifteen, um, the Bible speaks about the uh, the conspiracy of Absalom and. Um, this particular topic is very important to everybody because it's important because you can have an Absalom at your gate or you could be an Absalom standing at someone's gate or standing at God's gate. Because sometimes when we talk about Absalom, we're also thinking about Absalom in relationship to a person. And once the Lord said, do not be an Absalom that stands in my way, you know, and I was like, what, as in who, me? As in, my name is not Absalom. And he was like, you know what I'm talking about. And I thought, how is that even possible? And then I began to think about it. There are certain characteristics about Absalom's. Number one, Absalom is a son. Absalom is a legitimate son. And when we say legitimate son, we're not just talking about bloodline. We're talking about sonship in terms of, you know, comes from your household you know, understands your economia, understands your economics, how you work, how you move, how you grow, how you do things in your house. Absalom's bear your name. Absalom understand your authority, you know, past the throne into your personality. Um, Absalom has heard about your plans for the future because with Absalom's you can be open you can be vulnerable because you feel an Absalom is part of you so they know your plans for the future um, they carry your name um, they understand your economy um, they they are sons either by birth um, Absalom are people you can be open and vulnerable they are within your own household you know um, Absalom actually 
has the favor of the people because you have bestowed authority and right upon Absalom. So they have the favor of the people. Um, another thing about Absalom is that they are least suspicious or they are the least suspects because of the relationship they have with you. People don't expect an Absalom to want to hurt you or harm you. You understand? You have to understand what I'm talking about. So why this is very important. So when the Lord said this to me, he said, don't be an Absalom at my gate. Don't stand in my way. And what I then understood that what the Lord was speaking about was you are a son. You understand my economy. You bear my name. You know my plans. I'm open with you. You know, you have eye for revelation and, you know, the prophetic. You know, you, you have my favor. People would believe you. He says, don't be all of these things to me, with me, and, and you stand at my gate because you have authority. You have an apostolic call to a generation. You have been entrusted with great power, he says, and then you stand at the gate to derail the people from me. He says, Absaloms will always turn up dead, so don't be an Absalom. And so I understood that what the Lord was doing was rebuking me concerning something and a position that I was taking, and the Lord was telling me, no, you have it wrong. Because if you go in this way, you are going to be enthroned in the heart of the people as opposed to me. And I was like, but Lord, that's not what, I'm not trying to do that. He said, the heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? So the Lord said, don't take this compliment. Don't take this position. Don't take this, this. And the Lord began to tell me a couple of things that I should never do. And he said, if you do, you are going to be enthroned in the heart of the people. And without knowing it, you know, and you see, there are some things that sometimes, um, I mean, when somebody tells me, most of it, my first response is usually, have you prayed about it? Or go and pray about it, then come back, let's talk. And the reason why I do that is because you don't want to become so self-sufficient for the people that they do not think about turning to God anymore. So when they think about their problem, they think about you. When they think about their solution, they think about you. When they think about their celebration, they think about you. When they think about their Thanksgiving, they think about you. And so automatically, the people are no longer going to God. They are no longer going to David. You have become the great high priest that interceded on behalf of the people, that standeth in the way. And then many times when ministers know that this is the point where you turn the glory to God, when the person is like, oh, since I met you, my life has not been the same. This thing you have done for me, oh, blood of Jesus, well, I'm finished. You are my life. You are my God. And quickly you're like, oh, we bless God. Oh, we thank Jesus for everything that he has done. Wow. Wow. You should take out one week to fast and pray and just offer up thanksgiving for one week to the Lord. I suppose he's thinking, hey, yeah, yeah, just, just take a week to offer up thanksgiving. Wow, Jesus needs to know, you know, all how grateful you are for all that he's done. You are taking the people and turning them back. So just because you have power doesn't mean you should allow the people focus on your power because there's somewhere where your power has come from. Absaloms usually have an alternative agenda and they maximize the access given to them by David to establish their own agenda. So these are some characteristics about Absaloms. Absaloms are, you know, on the outward, they look good. So when you see them within a system or you see them within a gate, they are the first people that you want to compliment. They are the first people you want to bless. They are the first people that you want to shower with gifts because they look like it. Do you understand what I'm talking? So for you to be able to possess economic gates, you must be able to possess the people at the gates because the gates speak about the people of authority. So you need to understand how they work, the culture of power. 
You need to understand how the culture of power, the dynamics of power. Excuse me. So I took today just taking time to look again over um, um, of, over my my private my, my exclusive mentorship program and so I was looking at it today and these are part of the things that I feel really strongly that I'm gonna to teach to that group of 12 people you know because it, that there is so much in there about how the culture of power the culture of authority the culture of dominion you know how it works and many people have not mastered it and so imagine how dangerous it is when you throw yourself at an absalom and what they can potentially do to your system now um i want to know that we are still here hope <laughs> hope everybody's still with me they hope you didn't leave me at the point and i didn't turn up on time i'm so sorry i have apologized i'm really sorry um thank you thank you thank you fantastic now so how did absalom turn up you know because there are a lot of them at gates and the reason why a lot of absaloms are at the gate is because they know how to play the politics of the gates they understand the politics of the gates there are many things that we are taught as christians but we are not taught politics now you may say, P.I., are you talking about politics? Yes, we know how to do church politics, but po church politics is a game compared to the politics that is in the world. And it's a waste of politics doing it in the church. What's the use? At the end of the day, Jesus superpower and a superpower. You know, it is about oil, ordination, favor, and grace. No need politicking when at the end of the day, it is the Lord that will raise one and the Lord that will bring another down. Forget about it. Take it all to the world. And we must learn politics because it's the way the systems work. It's the way the gates function. If not, you're going to find yourself locked in, into a corner and you will have to consistently be um, breaking your standards so that you can achieve the thing that you could have achieved without, you know, exerting so much strength. So you begin to look at people like Mordecai. And you begin to see how Mordecai was able to arrive at power. The Bible says that when, okay, we haven't got to Mordecai, let's leave it there. But I just, Mordecai, when he heard the edict that had gone out, what did he do? Mordecai tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes and went into the court of the king. And he was mourning. And when they told Esther, Esther was afraid. She said, please, people, go and tell him to leave there quickly. Because you were not meant to enter the court of that king mourning or in sackcloth or dressed like that. So she was so afraid that Mordecai was going to be king. But Mordecai is like, no, tell her I'm not leaving here until she promises me she's going to do something about it. So Mordecai literally grabbed Esther by the throat. So you would have looked at it. If you were there, you'd be like, ah, ah, what is the meaning of this? What is wrong with Mordecai? Ah, ah, now, wow, just because you help somebody, the next day you now want to make sure that you force the person. No, this is not right. This is not right. He's trying to own her. He's trying to manipulate her. He's like, uh, yeah, I'm going to manipulate you till you deliver the people. You have to do something, Esther. So they told him, go back. They sent him clothes. Let him cover himself. He said he's not covering himself. Oh. They will come and meet me here. And today I will tell them that you are actually not from Shushan, that you are a Jew. If you don't quickly do something. Esther. So here's Mordecai um, seemingly blackmailing his own niece. Why? Because she had the power to deliver the people. If Mordecai was a pastor that did that today, <laughs> all the blogs will carry him. But Mordecai is like, Esther, you don't get it. 
I will not leave this place until you rise up into your purpose. I will not let you go. Yes, I'm disgracing you. Yes, I'm annoying you. Yes, you feel as if I can't believe you will say that, Mordecai. I can't believe you will do this to me. I will do it until you rise up and take your place. Because Esther, you are standing at the gate and you are appointed for such a time as this. And if you don't get up, you are going to miss this opportunity that God has put giving you. He says, if you don't get up and do something now, deliverance will come from somewhere else. But Esther, I can assure you, you will have no part in it. Don't think that if you don't do something and all of us die, you will know that you will die. Imagine the things that Mordecai was saying to her. So Mordecai understood how to move the hand of the person in power at that time because he knew that by virtue of her being the wife of the queen she possessed the corner of the gate of the land and esther was sitting down there as a beautiful girl thinking i have gotten the king i don't need to make any other effort i am good you know and all of that so mordecai helped her to put perspective back into her office and said to her listen you're not just a beautiful girl that has won the heart of a king you are not just a queen to to become like an ornament in the palace you were put there by god and there's purpose attached to your throne and this is the very reason why god put you there there is no coincidence that you happen to enter into power at the moment that the people of god fell into need so esther don't get it twisted don't go and be testifying oh i have favor see what god did for me what will you do for god what will you do for God? The thing that God did for you, are you willing to risk it for the sake of God? If you really believe that he gave it to you, now that he needs it, will you give it back to him? So Mordecai understood the language of kings, the language of royals. I will get to Mordecai, but let's stay on, uh, 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 on Absalom a little bit. Now, how did Absalom come about? Absalom came about um, by reason of the things that happened to him. The Bible says that Absalom had a sister called Tamar, and Tamar was um, raped by her brother. Oh gosh, please remind me of his name. Mm, somebody please remind me of his name. It's one of those names that keeps speaking, keeping my head. She was raped by her brother, Amnon, thank you. She was raped by her brother, Amnon. And the Bible says Amnon loved her so much, or he thought he loved her. And it was a case of, if I don't sleep with this girl, I will die. But the Bible says, as soon as he slept with her, that he hated her much more than he had ever loved her and there's a principle I need you to see here and I had shared it a bit with you guys some days ago about how Satan many times never does a direct attack when he knows that you are a man of God you're a woman of God who has secured your borders what he then does is that he goes for the people within the borders of your life that do not have the same security systems that you have and he uses them as a point of entry to evade your gates I always show to people a parable that my mother shares with us she will say now person when they inside house nine they open door for person when they outside simply put if you do not have a person in your house who truncates or who breaks the security of your home another person outside cannot get in cannot invade your house you usually need an inside man satan needs an inside man for you to be attacked Kachi, i'm hot please he needs an inside man for you to be attacked so when you begin to pray and when you enter a season of fasting and you enter a time of intercession and you enter a time of waiting on the lord please do not pray for only yourself do not 
don't pray for only yourself. Even if you don't like that spouse, you don't like that driver, pray for every one of them because there is something that is direct warfare and there is indirect warfare. Indirect warfare are usually the most subtle warfares. Now, who was the serpent coming for? Remember, when Eve ate the fruit, the Bible did not record that humanity fell, but it was when Adam ate the fruit that both of them fell because there is something about going for the man the one who received the original mandate the one who upon whom the blessing was spoken even though extended to her by reason of the fact that she came out of him the Satan understood the principle but he also knew that he could not go to the man to say most likely the man would not have even spoken to the serpent but he went to the woman because he knew that there was something about the woman there was something about her nature there was something about her ability to be a strategic thinker and to easily want to go into depth of knowledge to find out oh wow she was inquisitive so he used that as an access point and so you need to understand and ultimately who was lucifer coming for god so humanity was just an access point because what he's trying to get is God and he's trying to get God's throne. So you then have to understand that sometimes the people that are with you are usually the ones that make you the most vulnerable, not even you. So I told you people about the story of um, Jacob churning away from Laban's house and um, his wife, Rachel, that he loved so much. If he was asked to leave one wife behind, I'm sure he would have left Leah, not Rachel. But he could not tell that the one that he really loved, the one that was most beautiful, the one that his heart was gravitating towards, was the one that was leaving him vulnerable. Rachel carried the gods of her father's house. So you could see um, Laban chasing with agility. And by the time he caught up, he said, please, where are my gods? Somebody has taken my God. And when I taught this a few days ago, I said, there's a way that the person with you is still carrying the God, still carrying the idols from their father's house, from their mother's house, from culture, from um, the brokenness of their past. And it becomes a spiritual tracking device by which Satan tracks you down. So that no matter how much you are running, no matter how much you are working, no matter how much strength you are putting into building your future and building your business, as long as you are building with a compromised person, it is going to be impossible for what you are building to amount to anything. So you also, you have to check, you have to check how the integrity of your structure, your spiritual structure, and also check the integrity of the pillars around you. Because if you have compromised pillars, manning what you are building, someday the building is going to collapse. So you have to understand that it is not just about you, but it's about everyone that is with you. Everyone. So Rachel was compromised. So even though um, 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 he had had this experience and he had had the experience of Bethel and then here he is running and he has this experience with, um, you know, Peniel. But you have to understand that he was compromised by reason of Rachel. So check, check, check your children, the people that come to stay in your house, your nannies, get them saved. Don't just have people simply because they are effective at their jobs. It may be effective at their jobs, but become a loophole through which Satan will attack you. They may be great. He may be a great chef, but he may become the portal through which the demonic enters your house. There are some people that enter houses and children are abused and molested. Why? Because they are witches, witches and warlocks. So you are there praying your prayer 
and just doing your belly enough Christian life. And this person is so effective. But then what is going on opens your child to abuse, to pornography, to all kinds of things. So from time to time, you must do spiritual swoop, swoop, uh, sweeping. Go around the house. Things, you know, I taught you guys um, um, uh, last month about ornaments. And I taught you about tokens that stand as gateways for the demonic to enter a place. Remove all of those tokens. It doesn't matter. Don't say, ah, this is my, this is my cookie. They like a uh, wordly song. Where, where. Ah, ah, is that a video? Send me that track. You know what's up? Send me the link. No. You can't play it in my house. I'm sorry. You can't play it in my house. So there are certain kinds of people, no matter how close you are to me, if you like be mother, father, brother, sister, nephew, niece. If I cannot vouch for your consecration, I don't know if I can put you under my roof. It's that simple. Because this is where I have my greatest treasure, my husband, my children, my future, my legacy is in my house. So there are certain things I cannot compromise. If I cannot check you out in the spirit and guarantee, I'm sorry. Now, are there going to be times when you never know what a person is doing? Absolutely. But at least do the one that is in your power. Are you still with me? Because the people that are with you, their covenants can compromise your covenant. Now, you, you, you go further on and then you begin to understand that. So here is Tamar and here is Amnon and he rapes her and he hates her more than he has ever. And then sends her out of his house. Didn't even keep her and sends her and she runs to her brother's house, Absalom, wailing. We all know this story. She's in pain, she's disgraced, she has no inheritance, she, can, she cannot be married any, anymore because in Israel you had to be a virgin. That was your worth as a woman, your virginity. So all her worth was taken away from her by her brother. So here is Absalom looking to see, is David going to do anything? And then David does nothing. Remember, indirect attack. So while, while Amnon's emotion was being stirred up, Amnon must have thought, ah, I go die, I go die if I don't sleep with this guy. Ah, I go die. He thought it was about him. But consequently, who was Satan coming for? David. The throne of David. Coming for the throne of David. Coming for the throne of David. Now, David's the brokenness of David's past and his inability to directly address matters is the reason why the whole situation actually affected him in the end. Because you have to remember, because when I was reading the story, somebody was like, but why did David not do anything about it? Listen, David was a boy that was raised up in the wilderness. David, they for, do you know what it means to forget you have a child? To forget you have a child. That means David was not really part of his household and sometimes that is how God raises certain people because of the call that he has upon their life sometimes you'll be that child that he sends to the far end of the world and his video call that you used to grow up with your siblings oh how you guys doing oh how, when are you coming back we're doing exam in fact this time our our holiday is just one week so there's no need coming back home I'll just stay back and God throws you far why? Because God wants to raise you apart from your brothers. The Bible spoke concerning Joseph that Jacob loved Joseph apart from his brothers. Another version says, oh, Jacob loved Joseph, you know, um, um, loved Joseph. That's how it says. But when you read it in the Hebrew Bible, it says Jacob loved Joseph apart separately from his brothers. So that means 
Jacob understood that this one has something and I perceive he will be the one that will save us. I perceive he will be the one that carries the covenant of deliverance. So the way Jacob loved Joseph was different from the way he loved the other children. He loved him and he mantled him and the mantle was a spiritual description or was like a representation of the multiple graces and strength that God has put upon Joseph and he called him a coat of many colors and you see when you remember many colors you think about the rainbow that's the first time we see many colors and many colors of the rainbow which was a bow over the sky was a representation of God's covenant with his people it was a covenant of saving them from destruction he says I will never again destroy the world with a flood so after they came out of the flood it was a covenant that you shall be saved this kind of global destruction will not come upon you again by water so here is Jacob making a coat of many colors for his son Joseph Joseph representing the son of covenant a son of deliverance a son that we save them like the way the ark saved Noah and his people he's he was going to be an ark of safety for his family so Jacob could tell that there was something about this boy there was something about because there's a way to tell a child that carries covenant listen to their dreams listen to the way they interpret things look at the favor upon them look at the way they are liked and hated by their brothers there are many ways in which you can know a child. Usually children that carry the anointing and a separate portion, they are usually children of visions, dreams and visions. They start to see at a very early age because they needed to navigate the course of their lives. So Jacob understood this and he loved Joseph apart from his brother. Then you begin to understand that this looked like the life of David. So God separated David and by himself taught David everything that David knew. He taught him how to worship. He taught him how to sing. He taught him how to war. He taught him how to be a shepherd. He taught him how to rest in the time of trouble. He taught him all of these things. But you see, there were certain things that just um, David did not know. So David had a beautiful heart. Beautiful heart. A kind heart. A good heart. Even when he saw people in his um, mighty men trying to swoop in, trying to... David just, he let a lot of things go. He was not the type to say, behead this one. His team, he, he will keep you. As far as you did not do David Shege, David will never do you Shege. Even the ones that did, even when he said, let's go to, to war, and some said, ah, please, we can't go, David, we're always going to fight, going to fight. When the glory, when they got recovered everything, he said, we'll share it with everyone. But the ones that came and the ones that did not come, David was a man of integrity. David was a kind person. But there were certain principles that David did not know because of the way he was raised. So David did not know how to navigate the, 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 should I say, the courtroom of fatherhood. He did not know how to handle it, how to deliberate such matters effectively. So you then realize that whenever David's family was involved, it was almost like he was weak. Even you look at the way that even in his mighty men, he didn't know how to address matters. So it was when David was about to die, he started saying to Solomon, Solomon, Kill this one. Kill this my mighty man. Kill this my strong man. Don't let this one go free. Lock him up. Do this one. And so when you read it, you're like, hey, David, but these guys followed you for years. And basically he was saying to Solomon, Solomon, if you leave them, you will never be secured on the throne. I know them. They are my mighty men. They are hungry people. They like power. They know how I rule. I have taught them well. So Solomon, they know more than you. Take them out. If I die now, their loyalty is not to you. Their loyalty is to me. It's to me. So, but why did David not deal with it in his own time? Because it's not David's nature. 
It's not David's nature. You need to get what I'm talking about. So here is a boy that was maybe not even liked by his family. When he came and he brought um, the food to them on the battlefield, they said to him, what are you doing here? Have you come also to come and spy? You want to, you want to be battled? When he even said, I can kill Goliath, they're like, what are you talking about? You can kill Goliath. You, you're, you're trying to... So think about how David was raised. So here is what happened. I'm sure he was distressed, but he didn't know what to do to Amnon. Was he going to behead his own son? It grieves his heart. Tamar is his daughter, but what was he going to do to his son? Remember, he's a son. The sons of the king were the most precious citizens to the king. Because he had, and that's why the kings had many. Because if you kill one, you kill another and kill another, and kill, at least he will have a heir to the throne. So as much as the princes enjoyed, the princes were never secured. Because the people knew that if you want to take down the king and make sure that no one else is ever, ever able to rise up and to fight you for the throne, take down his sons too. Do you get what I'm talking about? So princes have advantages and they have access to wealth and riches, but princes are never safe. And as I say that to you, I need you to think of yourself as a son of God. That's why you need to understand the attacks on your life. Princes are never safe. Because if they need to take down the king, they will make sure there is no prince that can rise up to claim the throne. So, and people who understand the behavior of royalty, they understand this. So you will notice that people that are princes and royals must be taught how to fight, how to handle weapons. In the case that there is war, or in the case that there is an attack, you must be able to defend yourself. They are transferred. The knowledge of the security system of the land is transferred to them. The secrets are taught to them. Because in case they take down the first hair, at least there are other hairs to the throne. So you need to get um, how this works. And so many times we are so naive. We only think about the blessings and the benefits of being sons of God. But we don't think about how being a son of God puts um, a target on your back. And hell is looking at you and saying, what? This can potentially be a head crusher. If I leave this one to master dominion mandate, if I leave this one to master the anointing, if I leave them to master their prayer life, this one can be a head crusher. Because it is wired into your DNA to secure the throne. It is hardwired into the DNA of a priest to want to rule. Royalty calls and beckons for you. The throne attracts you even when you say, I don't want it. It is in your DNA to be a king. Get what I'm telling you about. So, um, these, are, these are part of, so David could not wake up and kill Amnon. Because Amnon was part of his security. The possibility of the future of Israel. So, here is this whole scenario and he does nothing. So, what does Absalom do? Absalom is angry and he waits. I think he waits for three years or four years or so. And then he calls for a party, you know, after a harvest period, a bishop sharing, I can't remember. Long and short of the story, Amnon kills his brother. Um, Absalom kills his brother Amnon at the party and all the other princes run away. Now, and that is the point when David should have done what? Ah, this Absalom, we have to do something. But what did David do? Nothing. Nothing. Once again, how will he handle it? One son has already died. He will not kill the other one that is so many. At this point, Absalom had become a threat to the other sons. 
everybody was afraid of him. To have the audacity to do that, even if you are a prince, you kill a fellow prince, are you kidding? So everyone at this point is like, ah, Absalom, let's be careful. David too is careful. Now, all of these things are breeding in Absalom's heart. Anger, bitterness, grief, malice, pain, shame, fear. You mean if something happens to me, my father will not defend me? If something happens to my children, my father will not defend them? So he's beginning to feel insecure. And when people begin to feel insecure, look, they are coming for you, even when they don't know it. So all of these things are stirring up on the inside of Absalom. And so what do we see Absalom doing? He goes where? He stands at the gate. Because Absalom understands that gates represent power. Gates represent authority. Gates are the entry entryways into the king's court. Gates are the places where you find the leaders. Gates is where you possess an economy. If you can hold the gates, you can hold the economy. So Absalom goes to the gate. Let's read 2 Samuel 15. In 2 Samuel 15, now, why am I telling you all of this? Think about your life and think about the Absaloms in your life. And this is why it is very important to be a leader that knows how to address matters. You cannot be a person that is entrusted with economies or economic gates if you are a person that likes to avoid situations. You would do, 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 but you will always be attacked. You will always get into trouble. Things will always crumble. You must learn. Once you feel that something is festering, deal with it. Deal with it because just because you act like it's not there does not mean it will not grow. So you're acting oblivious about the fact that a plant is growing in your backyard does not stop the plant from growing. If you like pass there every day and pretend that the plant is not there, one day you will wake up and find that it has crawled all over your wall and filled your entire yard. So your capacity to stop and say, you know what, this thing is growing, we need to pull it out. We need to take care of it. We need to address it. Your ability to address the small growing issues is as powerful as your ability to address the big obvious problems of the economy. Both is necessary. Because this one that looks like little today can grow to become a tall tree that takes over the entire light of your area. So you have to address it at every given time. Are we still together? Now, another thing you want to know is that Absalom was a son. So to have sons is powerful. People have sons, not just in the physical, not just in churches, but you actually have sons in business. You have sons in government. You have sons in music industry. People have sons. Who is a son? One that you can look at and say, I have birthed this one. By reason of the effort, the time, the commitment, and the resources you have put into that person, whether in a season of their life or from the start of their life, it then gives you the ability to be able to say, in a sense, I have birthed this one into a new place and into a new season into a new life but just because you birth a person does not guarantee that you are safe with the person so kings are always on red alert because the moment that their sons grow up to be men and the dna of royalty starts staring up on the inside of them the kings know that even with my son i'm no longer safe so kings are always on alert 
and are constantly teaching and constantly pouring into are constantly investing in their sons because if you don't invest in them consistently and carry them along satan is going to take advantage of the void and the space in communication to sow a different seed into their hearts and he's going to use the dna of royalty on the inside of them to rise up in rebellion against you i hope you are with me together so you need to get what I'm talking about. That's why the one person that a king and a ruler must invest in the most are your sons. So as you are investing in them, you also need to be helping them with their heart. Because you see, you can pour all the investment into a child. But if you invest in a wicked child, that wicked child is going to be the one that takes you down tomorrow. So... The investment is not just in send them to Harvard, send them to Yale, you know, buy the child the biggest car, give them all the money they need. No, 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 no. Invest in the hearts of your children. When you see the way that your child addresses somebody that did something wrong to them, and the child is like, I will never forgive you. Don't laugh about it. Don't say, <laughs> don't mind him. Ah, this one is hard, very strong. What does that mean? You will call the child. Four years, five years, it doesn't matter. Three years, stand or sit down. You say, are you listening to me, son? Yes, okay. Let's talk about your heart. Take your pen and your paper. Ah, but mommy, mommy, take your pen and paper. Okay, write it now, my heart. Okay, number one, your heart is the place of your emotions. Write emotions. Your heart is the place of your intentions. Write intention. Your heart is where you communicate from, right? Communication. Your heart is the source of life and all the matters of your life. Write it down, life. Your heart is where you forgive or where you hold bitterness. Write it down, forgiveness or bitterness. You will take the child to a school and then you begin to explain to the child, first of all, what does it mean for your heart to be the place where your emotions dwell? My son, Judah, you have to understand. My son, Nathan, no, 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 you cannot be like that. Ah, this person did this to you. They took one and you took their ten. Ah, my son, where did you get that kind of heart from? You must school them. You may think that you are training their hearts for the world, but you are also training your, their hearts for yourself. Because at the end of the day, this one is going to be the one that represents you or the one that takes you down. Hear me. So you must always invest in the heart of your sons. Always invest in the heart of your subordinates. Always invest in the hearts of those that are closest to you as you invest in your own heart. Because you teach them about their heart, but they see your heart as wicked. Trust me, they will never see the reason to receive what you are teaching. Because they learn standards first from you. Now, um, as, as, as we go on, you then begin to understand that there was a heart problem with Absalom. And many times there is a heart problem with our Absaloms. And that's why the people that you, are most, you should be most careful with are the ones that, are, that want to be close to you, but also want to be far from you. I don't know how to explain it. So they want to be close to you, uh, but they want you to be far from them. Does that make any sense? So they want to be in your space. They want to be in your house. They want to know your children. They want to travel with you. They want to eat with you. They want to, you know, go places with you. They want you to be able to send them to your husband's office. They want to, so they want to be close to you, but they want you to be far from them. 
So when you ask them, ah, so what's going on? Who are you seeing? Ah, P.I. <laughs> oh my God, you always ask direct question. Uh, of course I will ask you a direct question. You are in my house. You are in my kitchen. You are in my study. You have helped me to go and pick up my children from school. You think I'm not going to ask you about your life? Of course I'm going to ask you. Do you understand? So those are the people you should be most careful with. They are close to you, but you are far from them. So you actually know nothing about them. They are not revealing their hearts to you. Because probably there's something in there that they don't want you to see. So tomorrow, so at the end of the day, the, the stakes are lower for them, but higher for you. And that's the problem with when you grow up and you grow into power and you get wealth and you are doing multiple things. It is very easy for you to be surrounded with people like this because you can no longer manage your life yourself. So you now need these people around you. But the problem with that is that you must understand that there are different kinds of people. It is the heart of a person that tells you whether they are a servant or a son. A servant's heart is far from you, but their service is close to you. But a son's heart is close to you. Sometimes they may not even be serving you. There's a big difference. Heart versus service. It tells you whether this person is a servant or this person is a son. You need to hear what I'm telling you. And there are many things you should never commit into the heart of hirelings and servants because they are all about their pay and their reward. The day that there is no reward or they feel like they're not getting anything in return or they feel like this investment is not making any sense, they will show you premium shege. I taught you about shege this morning. And shege is a word found only in the Nigerian dictionary. Shege is a state of, um, of, of uh, what's the word now? It's a state in which a person is dealt with. It's a state of dealing. Whereby everything on the inside of you will feel the pain of what is being done to you. So there are different kinds of shege. There's normal shege and there's premium shege. Premium shege, I told you this morning, is the time that even your eye, physical eye will be red. So higher lens can show you premium shege. And guess what? You are there thinking, why are they not feeling it? They can't feel it but they are, because their heart was never invested. Their hands were invested. Their money was invested. Their sweat was invested, but their heart was not invested. Do you understand? And as long as the heart is not in it, it is very, very easy for them to detach from you. So here is um, a situation in the court of David. Now, there are different things that can birth an Absalom. Now, Absalom did not wake up saying, I'm going to kill my brother and I'm going to deal with my father. He didn't wake up like that. But you also have to understand as a leader, as a father, as a mother, that do not leave things to fester for too long. If not, Satan is going to take advantage of it and raise an Absalom at your gate. Hear me. He's going to take advantage of it and raise an Absalom. So what if David could say, you know what? Absalom, I really don't know how to, I, like, I can't kill Amnon. He's, he's your brother. He's my son. And what if he... At least did something. Have it. Don't act as if you don't know that the thing is preparing the person. Try your best, David. Because what's going to happen is that the longer that Absalom sits in that pain and sits in that sense of rejection and abandonment, Absalom is going to proceed to create a plan under your own nose of how they are going to deal with you. 
So Absaloms are not born that way most of the time. Many Absaloms are made out of the abandonment of David. Out of David's inability to address the current situation. That is how Absaloms are formed. So you see sometimes some men will say to some women, when I married you, you were not like this. You were nice, you were kind, you were patient, you were this. Yes, she became an Absalom and became the very product of your inability to address the matters and to deal with them on time. You abandon a person for a long period of time. They are bound to adapt to meet your abandonment. And abandonment is not that you left the house. You can build a person and emotionally abandon them. You can build a person and psychologically abandon them. You can build a person and spiritually abandon them. You can build a person physically and yet you abandon them. So your inability to be there when you should and to address what you ought to can raise an Absalom that was not born like that naturally. Are you hearing me? These are wisdom for leaders and rulers and kings and presidents. You must be careful because many of the people that have the power and capacity to rise up of, uh, about, against you are the people that bear the same mark of the same covenants that you carry. That's why they have the rights to do it. Now, so here is Absalom. He first kills the brother. And then the next thing that Absalom does is that he goes for the throne. But Absalom does not go directly to David. Remember, indirect attack. So you must be able to sit down and see when an attack is brewing from a distance. Because, you know, the people may look at it and say, Oh, David, ah, look at what Absalom did. Look at what Amnon did to Tamar. Uh -huh. Look at what Absalom did to Amnon. Uh -huh. It's coming closer to home. Because the next thing you must recognize that it is you that the attack is actually meant for. It's you, David. But then, is it really about Absalom? You need to get it. So is it, that's why, they, that's why I said David was a beautiful person at heart. David was also a spiritual man and a prophet. So the reason why David could weep over Absalom, the reason why David could weep over Saul, was because David was a spiritually intelligent man. This class I'm teaching about Gates, David can teach it fantastically well. Because David understood that these people were merely access points to his life. But it is something else that was trying to access him, not them. It is the devil. It is a spirit that wants to fight the covenant made to David and the throne of David, which says that the hair is going to sit upon the throne of David. The Messiah is going to sit upon the throne of David. So there is an attack on the integrity of David's throne. And David understands this very well. And David knew that every attack against him was not about him, but about the one that he represents and about his ability to construct a throne of integrity that can bear the weight of the Messiah. So David could tell. So every time people did certain things to him, he did not take it personal. Now, the reason why we react wrongly to the circumstances of life is because we do not understand our eternal purposes and we do not understand where we stand in time. If you understand where you stand in time and the purpose of your life and what you represent to the heavens and the earth, you will understand the nature of warfare against your life and you'll be more compassionate towards those that Satan uses. Not once did Jesus abuse Judas. Not once did Jesus slap him. Just say, I know what you are going to do. Just take an excuse. After he, after he flogged people in the temple, nobody did anything to him. So one day he could have just taken time to flog Judas like 38. Do you understand? 
Just and just say because Judas did this or did he knows Judas' life now. But Jesus did not take advantage of his wisdom, of his power to know the deep secrets of Judas and then use it to disgrace Judas and flog him just to relieve himself of the fact that I know what Judas will do to me. Jesus didn't do that. Till the very end, Jesus was compassionate. Till the very end, Jesus was, Judas, Jesus was compassionate because he knew that the problem is not Judas. He knew that it is Satan that is at work and using Judas as a gate to enter into his camp because the disciples were the closest to him, the 12. And 12 is the number that represents government. And so Jesus understood that if you breach Judas, you have breached the government that keeps him and keeps the integrity of his ministry on earth. That's why Judas could not be activated until Gethsemane. Judas was a sleeper cell that was embedded within Jesus' discipleship system. And Jesus always knew that Judas was the one. Why? Because he saw Judas' behavior towards silver. And he knew that money was going to be the very medium of transaction by which he was going to be betrayed unto death. And he looked at the one that had this kind of passion for money. And he knew it. And in order to foster the, his purpose and his calling and his ordination, he gave Judas to be the one that keeps the money. So that in the day that Judas is about to sell him out, it will not be strange when Judas is talking money with people and the other disciples hearing Judas talking money with the priest. It's not strange to them because he's the money guy. That's his job. So Jesus understood the dynamics of the life of Judah. Every single thing about Judas' life was configured to be the one that betrays him. But for Jesus was forever merciful because he knew that it is not Judas the man that is the problem. It's not Judas the gate that is the problem, but the one that stands at Judas' gate. So, 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 so David understood this very well. So David's compassion was because he understood the back channels and the network of the demonic that was attacking him as the son of God and as the one that was going to be the seed and the throne upon which the Messiah will sit. Now, you then begin to see that um, here is Absalom coming closer and closer and closer to David. And then finally, he comes and he is at the gate of David. In 2 Samuel 15, Absalom's conspiracy. And you, you know, you must also be very careful. When a person has exhibited strong bitterness towards you, the, the way to reconcile with the person is not to give the person a position. Listen to me. Position and money can never ever compensate for the pain that people are feeling. So many people who have money and power think that the way that they can make up for a pain that they've caused a person is to give them more money. Is to give them more power. No, you are just empowering them to come for you. Because that very thing that is, is paining them has not been dealt with. And until that is taken care of, every other resource is an empowerment for revenge. So he killed his brother, my God, David. First sent him out of Israel for like 10 years. And then while he's there, you can go and visit him every year and say, Absalom, what's the issue? Do you understand? And you begin to deal with the matters. And then sometimes you invite him back. Sometimes you take trip and deal with it because... He has already shown you. He has already shown you what he's capable of. If he can kill his brother, he can kill his father. You need to hear what I'm telling you. 
He has already shown you what he's capable of. So in the kindness of your heart, do not be ignorant about the darkness of other people's hearts. Don't ever. And do not let the darkness of other people's hearts corrupt the kindness of your own heart. Do you hear what I'm saying, saying to you? In the kindness of your heart, do not be ignorant about the darkness of other people's hearts. But never allow the darkness of their hearts redefine the standards of your own heart's goodness. Never. The Bible says that Jesus knew men, so he did not commit himself to any of them. So he was looking at Peter. I can never leave you. I can never deny you. He said to him, Peter, you will deny me. Three times before the cock crows, you would have denied me. So Jesus knew the capacity that Peter had on the inside of him. Even though Peter didn't know he could do it. He told him, don't worry, I'm telling you, you're going to do it. So Jesus did not depend on his disciples for his safety. Even though up to the Gethsemane, he tried. He told the people, pray with me, watch with me for one hour. Sleep did not allow them to see rude. Jesus prayed one hour, came, begged them. They, they couldn't wake up. Who has seen that kind of sleep before? The question is who narrated what happened to Jesus in Gethsemane? Which of the disciples saw him crying, bleeding blood? You see your master bleeding, as in the sweating blood rather, and then you are not moved. What kind of demonic sleep is that? So you saw it to the point that you can narrate it. You even heard some of the prayer points, but you could not pray with him. So that's to tell you that something else came upon them. Jesus came again the second time. You people, how far now? Help me, help me. Nobody could. So he understood and he did not from there say, in fact, from this thing that people have done, eh, I can never forget it. None of you will be my disciples. Jesus understood. These are men. They are weak. They don't have the power to fight. The nature of battle I'm going for, they don't know how to deal with it with me. So Jesus knew me, so he did not commit himself to them because he understood it. Sometimes you are so bitter because your expectations are too high. You are so broken because your expectations are too great. How can you expect from a vessel that has not been configured by the Spirit of God, how can you expect it to be able to bear the weight of the intentions of the Spirit of God? Its configuration was not by the Spirit of God, so it cannot bear the weight of the Spirit. How can you expect from a vessel that has not been transformed and translated by the life of God, how can you expect the vessel to be able to carry the demands of the life of God? It is impossible. So this is where when women who have messianic complex or men with messianic complex, you marry a spouse that you know does not measure up to the level of godliness that you have encountered. And then you get disappointed when the spouse cannot give you the godly virtues that you expect. What is wrong with you? You are merely deceiving your own self. If it has not learned to be transformed into a new wine skin, how can you expect it to carry new wine? It's going to burst. So many people are bursting with anger, bursting with, you know, fight, bursting with quarrels, bursting with all kinds of things because they don't have the capacity to bear the weight of the wine that you're putting on the inside of them. So step back with your demands. Allow them grow. When they grow, they will ask you for the wine by themselves. You need to get what I'm talking about. Same thing with me. There are some people that love me. Ah, peer, peer, peer. But I can love you from a distance, but not close. Because I understand that you don't have the power to bear the weight that is me. 
And when I say the weight, yes, I know say I get weight naturally, physically. I'm a weighty woman. I got cabod. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To all my cabod sisters and brothers in here, can I get an amen? Amen. Weighty people. But that's not the weight I'm talking about. I'm talking about the weight of calling, the weight of destiny, the weight of assignment, the weight of commission. By reason of my weight, there are certain things that I cannot do. I cannot say. I cannot go to certain places. By reason of my weight, there are certain I don't want to say moods or places that I enter into. There are ways in which I can switch and the phone can go from like this to whoom. And it can enter a prophetic session in a split second. By reason of my weight, there are certain levels of thinking I cannot tolerate. I cannot afford it. There's a way I cannot be evaluating people every time. I, I can't afford it. So it will not even be me fighting you. It will just be my weight fighting you. It should just be my calling fighting you. And then, if I put the expectations of my weight on you, you are going to break and I am going to fall. Two of us are going to have issues. So it is wise of me to help you not to be here because you can't. So some people are here, I just want to be there. I'll say, you can't run the way I'm running. And so it is in wisdom that I understand that not everybody close to me can run at the speed of my revelation. Sometimes only me can. Sometimes only me can. Not everybody. The person that Elijah said, go and tell the, 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 the king that there's going to be rain today. Did the person run with Elijah when he was overtaking the chariot? No. Now you take your own two leg run. Sometimes I understand that by reason of my calling and my configuration and the revelation of God upon my life, there are certain races I can run at certain speeds that not everybody can. Because it is revelation that gives momentum for the journey of life. It is encounters that gives the stirring to run in life. So if you don't have the same revelation and encounters, I cannot expect you to have the same momentum and stirring and capacity that I have. So I meet everybody at the level of their revelation. I take from you what revelation permits. I entice you into more because sometimes seeing the journey forces you to go and pray for the more. But I also understand when revelation has capped, you can't go further than what you see. Is, is somebody learning with me today? So, we are on Absalom and the Absalomic syndrome and the Absalom at the gate. Because Absaloms have power at the gate. You have to understand it. They have power. And I have explained to you why. And I have explained to you what an Absalom looks like. Who an Absalom is. By reason of the natural configuration of Absalom's life. As a son. As a royal. As someone who understands your economy. As someone from your household. As someone who the people know is. Like just by reason of the configuration of Absalom's life. He has access to your gates. And then you have to then begin to understand that Absalom is not just a person. Absalom can be a culture. Absalom can be a system. Absalom can be a location. Absalom can be a trend. Absalom can be a business. Absalom can be an institution. Absalom can be anything. An Absalom institution or an Absalom culture 
is one that you are so used to and is used to you and your lives and destinies are intertwined together and by virtue of how familiar you are with it and it is with you it has the capacity to be used by satan to stand in the way of your next season of victory hear me so there are some cultural biases you have by reason of where you were born how you were born to whom you were born and so these things have been instituted in your heart and your mind and Satan understands that because this is of your economia, you have developed a house management system around that culture. And so that culture can become a potential tool in the hands of the devil if the culture is not founded and rooted in truth. So there are certain cultures you have that are rooted in truth. Fantastic. And so that culture can become a tool of empowerment and God can use it as his defense for you at your gate. For example, the culture of joy, the culture of peace, the culture of truth, the culture of love, the culture of kindness. All of these cultures can become defense systems at your gate. But there are some other cultures, the culture of anger, the culture of malice, the culture of unforgiveness, the culture of disrespect. Do you know some people are disrespectful? Not because they are wicked, but because disrespect was cultural in their homes. They spoke to each other anyhow. Their mother spoke to their father anyhow. The younger ones insulted the elder ones and there was no penalty for it. So disrespect was embedded within them by reason of culture. And so this person begins to rise in life when they find Jesus or they grow in skill and ability and they start to rise in life. But you see, this culture becomes a waiting sleeper cell that Satan can activate at any time to remove them from favor. So at the point where Satan wants to invade their life, they make that thing become displayed in a place where you have only one opportunity. And the moment they observe that this person has this nastiness on the inside of them, automatically they begin to think, how do I push this person away? So a gate that once opened onto you for favor and promotion becomes a short gate that closes a season of life onto you. Why? Because you had an absolomic culture, a culture that was just waiting to overthrow you or to be used as an entryway for you to be pushed out of your throne. Hear me. So it's not just the person. So as we're saying, Absalom, you're thinking of different, hmm, this is my friend, Titi, ah, Absalom. You are thinking of different people, but it's not just people. Sometimes we carry Absaloms with us because of our deficiency and because of the things we are lacking. If Abraham was not quick to discern, Lot could have become a potential Absalom because there was a staring, a staring from the servants of Lot and the servants of Abraham. And so talk had started. So if Abraham was not quick to say, ah, Lord, it's okay. Let's, let's, do you understand? Whatever you need, whatever works for you, take and go. What could have happened was that Lot could have actually become somebody who was in, because Lot knew. Abraham carried him. He saw Abraham leave his father and mother's house, leave his people, leave everything, and saw Abraham prosper more than his father Terah. So Lot, just by being brought up in Abraham's house, could tell that the hand of God is upon his life. So Lot was growing because Abraham was growing. Lot was increasing because Abraham was increasing. Lot was multiplying because Abraham was multiplying. And Abraham had no problem with it because Abraham had more than enough. He had sufficiency from God. So, but at the point where it then became an issue 
if Abraham did not address it quickly, what would have happened was that Lot probably would have developed resentment towards Abraham. Yes, exactly. Blessings by association. Oh, yes, that's just a different place. Abraham was a gate in Lot's life. And Lot probably didn't get it. If I was Lot, I'd have told Abraham, don't worry, I'll fire all my servants. I will fire all of them. Who said something? You want me to behead them, I will behead them. But Abraham, um, uncle, I'm not leaving you. Sorry, sir. Anything you need me to do, I will let them go. But for you, I cannot let you go. That's what I would have done. Because if Lot was wise, he should have known that Abraham was not just his uncle. Abraham was his God-given opportunity for promotion. Abraham was his God-given opportunity for wealth. Abraham was his God-given opportunity for royalty. Abraham was his covering. Abraham's covenant was God, was what was extending to him. Because remember what God said concerning Abraham, that he knew that Abraham would teach his household about him. So Lot learned godliness and righteousness from Abraham. Because they were idol worshippers before. Abraham's father was an idol worshiper. So it was when he left the house that he encountered God. And God said, why is Abraham his friend? Why is he trusting him with the covenant? Because I know Abraham is a teacher. Just Abraham was a teacher. That's the power of having teachers. Teachers will not let you rest. Every small thing is an opportunity to learn. Every small matter, they'll tell you, you see, there's a principle in this thing. You know, the principle is on three levels. Number one, number two, number three. That's how teachers are. Anything is an opportunity to be taught. But because of Abraham's teaching ability, God could trust him with a covenant. Because it takes a teacher to transfer a covenant. A covenant is not just on the laying on of hands. The greatest transference of a covenant is through teaching. Because you give a person a covenant and don't teach him about a covenant. It's like giving a person a sports car and you don't tell, teach him how to drive. It is useless. So he would just be going around saying, look, I got sport car, I got, I got Lamborghini. But he's trekking to church. You have Lamborghini, but you are jumping in buses. Why? Because you have a Lamborghini you cannot activate. But to activate the Lamborghini, you need to be taught how Lamborghinis work and how to drive them. So covenants are usually given to people who can transfer them through teaching. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Through teaching. So, and when you find a teacher that teaches you consistently, you enter into things that they did not even lay hands on you to get. So the laying on of hands is great. Impartation. But what use is an impartation you don't understand? What use is an impartation you don't know how to work out? What use is an impartation that you cannot ride upon? So teachers are one of them. That's why when God wants to restore a generation, he restores the teachers, the teaching priests into the generation. That's why one of the things that God is restoring in our time is teachers. So I can be a, an apostle, I can be a prophet, but concretely I'm a teacher. Because my office is kind of useless if I cannot teach the people the essence of the office and the ways of the office and the purpose of God for my generation. I will just turn out to be a star that is admired, but I will have nobody to carry my mantle. So this is why we teach. My teaching is so much that I know that I can't even do it as, I haven't told myself, maybe I should just open church because, not because I need anything. I just want to be able to consistently teach people. Sunday to Sunday, grow them and watch them become like tall trees. That's all. Because I have to teach. I have a school. I prepare the curriculums for my school. 
I prepared the curriculums. So I was developing a course today, and I sat down with Pastor Stephanie. In the space of 30 minutes, gave an entire curriculum of 12 modules, broke down each module into four parts. It's the way my spirit works. Do you understand? And the reason why it is like that, it is for the purpose of restoration. It is for the purpose of restoration. Every time God wanted to restore Israel, what will he do? He will release the teaching priests. And they will start to teach Israel. Oh, hear, O Israel. And then he will begin to teach them. Say, say, oh, do you remember God is the one that brought you out of Egypt? The Lord that did it. Then they will read the laws again to the people and explain the laws to the people. And they will weep and they will wail and they will repent and come back to God. Teachers. That's why at the same time, when Satan wants to destroy people, he will corrupt the lips of the teachers. So that they will teach a law that looks like God, but it's not of God. And remember, you are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. So doctrine is a wind. And teachers are the bearers of doctrines. And the wind determines momentum. Momentum determines how far you can go, where you can go. So if you are taught wrongly, your destiny can go in a direction that you can never recover from. That's why you need teachers of truth. Teachers of truth. Teachers of truth. You can worship great, sweet song, lovely, but be taught. Because without teaching, the direction of your life can go in the wrong tangent. And when you have gone in the wrong tangent, what helps you trace yourself back? Doctrine. Accurate doctrine is what pulls you back into alignment with the will of the Lord. That's why you cannot play down on it. That's why you cannot play down on it. So I have schools. I'm I'm, today I'm saying, I just start for this shift. Tomorrow I'm saying, I have uh, 12 people. I'm taking on a journey builders. The next day I come to Undercross. Tomorrow I've released book. Next tomorrow I'm releasing journal. I don't even know what to do with myself anymore. I'm not joking. Ask the people that work with me. They don't tire for content. I don't know what to do. I don't. So now I want to hire an entire office just to draw from me. That's your work. Take everything I have. All these sermons I'm preparing, I have 40 pages to preach one sermon. What, what kind of behavior is that? Take it, please, for me and turn it into benefits for a generation. So, Abraham could be trusted with a covenant because he was a teacher. If I were Lot, Uncle Abi, who do you say is the problem? Okay. You say Stephanie. She said what? All right. All right. Grab Stephanie. Yeah. Behind her we style. Yes. Thank you so much. Who else? You say Jade Sola. All right. Please take Jade also with her. You can hang them side by side. Thank you. Who else? Uncle Abi. Why? Because Lot knew that Abraham I have seen you do <laughs> so poor Stephanie. Yes, I always come for the ones that I know are my own that can be it. You know, Uncle uh, Lord knew that Uncle A B I've seen you do great and terrible things. I cannot uh, I cannot just let you go like that. Now, what am I saying? Lot literally means the one that covers. <laughs> they have repented. Lot literally means the one like that covers. So Lot actually was covering Abraham for manifesting. The moment Lot was removed, 
God started speaking to Lot uh, Abraham again. Abraham, come and look and open your eye. Where else do you want? I will give to you. So when you look at it at the end of the day, it was even in God's mercy towards Abraham that he took Lot away. So it was an indirect blessing. The way you have indirect attack, that's how you have indirect blessing. So you see, the murmuring of the people was God's indirect way of helping Abraham. Because if he had categorically told Abraham, take Lot away, Abraham could not do it. Because he loved him. Lot was his nephew. He didn't have a son. He maybe was even hoping that maybe it's Lot that will. So God just said, um, I beg, please, strife between their servants. And as the thing just ended, as Lot was li living like this, here comes Jehovah Elohim. Oh yeah, Abraham, open your eye. Let me show you what I want to show you. So sometimes, mourn the losses of people who leave you. But sometimes throw thanksgiving parties for them. Because you just never know how, because like I always say, people are gates. They are not just gates to, for things to enter. They are gates also for things to leave. So there are certain people that will enter your life. Your gift to dream will vanish. Have you met some friends before? They are inside your life. Certain gifts will go. You'll be looking for the gift with touch, light, and rake. You can't find it. Why? Gates. So gates are not just entry points. They are also exit points. They are also exit points. So sometimes God will remove certain individuals from your life because of the things he wants to do and he doesn't want it to leak. So he will first seal you up before he pours into you. So... Um, let's go back. I knew I should have known that I couldn't finish Absalom today, but let's attempt. So here is um, Absalom. I'm trying to think about how we got to Abraham and the people and letting some people go. Ba, 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 ba. Anyway, so here is Absalom and David in 2 Samuel 15. And it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom rose up um, early and stood beside the way of the gates. And it was, <clears throat> Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. You need to understand what I'm talking about. Absalom understood the art of image management, um, marketing, and communication. So Absalom did not just go and relay the gates anyhow. He did not wear anyhow clothes. He did not just appear like one useless person. Absalom appeared with he put 50 men and chariots and horses to run in front of him. So he created this illusion of greatness and power. Do you get what I'm talking about? And Pastor Stephanie, help me check out the number 50 real quickly because I feel it's prophetic. There's a reason why. Um, I know 5 um, five is the number of grace 10 is the number of man. So he was speaking about um, maybe like men of grace and speaking about the fullness of men in the, in the form of grace. So Absalom understood what he was doing. You get what I'm talking about? So he did not appear at the gate anyhow. So in going to overthrow him, he created this illusion of grandness. Me, I have arrived. I'm big also. He said, and Absalom rose up when early he didn't show up at the gate. Yes, 50 also speaks about jubilee and freedom. 
So Absalom was making a declaration of himself. You get what I'm talking about? He was making a declaration of himself, who he was and how he was appearing. And he says, and Absalom rose up early and stood by the way of the gate. So some of you, the people that want to take your blessing and overthrow you and the demon that wants to finish you is more diligent than you. The demon and the people that have been assigned by hell to finish you, they have more principles than you. They wake up early in the morning to pray. Early in the morning to consult with Olokun. Early in the morning to consult Ashigidi. Early in the morning to talk to their gods. When they tell them at 3 a.m., go outside, <sighs> blow this powder and call his name three times. Kachi, Kachi, Kachi. At 2 45, he's outside waiting, chanting the praises of his God, waiting. Then 3 a.m., <laughs> he does not miss the time because he understands that gods and the spirits don't joke with timing and precision. The spirit realm is all about precision and order. Precision and order. You get what I'm saying? So they understand how it works, so they don't miss it. But you, that God is trying to deliver, you, you cannot wake up early. We will say prayer in this 5 o'clock, you will wake up at uh, 9.30 and say at least there's recording. May they not record your deliverance, your captivity. Do you understand what I'm talking about? So Pastor Stephanie, I read what you're saying. Jubilee, liberty, liberation, release, freedom, deliverance, rest, consummation of time, extreme grace. Absalom was declaring. Do you get what I'm talking about? Absalom was releasing a declaration about himself. I am now a big boy. I don't need my father anymore. Do you get what I'm talking about? So, you that you need salvation, you are still sleeping. Absalom is at the gate early. When do you possess your gates? Are you coming after Absalom? After Absalom has established himself. After Absalom has discussed with the seven elders of the spirit realm and your destiny has been negotiated, is that when you are now getting up and saying, In the morning, early in the morning, in the morning, I will rise and praise the Lord. Meanwhile, the time is 9.30. Your mates in the witchcraft realm have already finished talking like five blood. Your mates, when be wizard, don't kill like two people. Then you are waking up at 10 o'clock singing, you're early in the morning. And the worst part is that you will add accent and phonet to the song. Oh, I will rise and praise the Lord. Oh, oh good morning, Jesus. Jesus is like, who down and they greet? <laughs> morning. <laughs> that past sins. Absalom's are finished ma manning gates. Absalom's are finished negotiating. Absalom's have bought the people at the door. You are just getting up. What sounds like a joke now is a very serious matter. Very serious matter in your organization. The time when people are negotiating. What are you doing? You are there saying, mm, God will favor me. God will not favor you like that. Go and pitch your case on time. Go and talk to the boss on time. When people were buying land for $5, where were you? When people were buying entire villages, where were you? Now that it is costing $1,000 for one square meter, do you want to rise and praise the Lord? 
You are now using more effort to achieve because you got to the gate late. Stop taking your time. There is no such thing as your time. All there is is time. And time only answers to men that answer to it. You don't respect time. That's why you are so disadvantaged. You don't feel a sense of... And when you see people that have a sense of urgency, you call them manipulative. You call them, you know, ambitious. Come on, of course they're ambitious. They understand how life works. Because a time is coming. You know, sometimes people say to me, ah, Pierre, the way you're always going. I say, I don't blame you now. If I was the CEO of... Um, give me one nice bank now. Are you going to be telling me, oh, the way you are going? You'll just be saying, wow, amen. I really admire you. My goodness. But because it's ministry, everybody feels they have a piece in ministry and how it should be done. Do you get what I'm talking about? Now, the other thing you don't understand is I recognize my timing. A time will come where the only thing that I will have the strength to do is to empower my seed. That time, the only work I will do from morning to night is to sit down and be writing books. I'll be preaching someone like this from this one. Then I'll be sitting with all them, uh, all the Pastor Linda, all the this one. By that time, it's not me you won't be hearing about again. You'll be hearing their voices all over the world. All these people that are helping you handle camera now, that are coming as you will, you will, you will, you will buy first class tickets for them and for the four people on their team. You. Listen, it is how time works. It is how time works. Only a foolish elder thinks that they are going to sit on the throne forever. And I'm no fool. Check out what I'm talking about. I'm no fool. So I understand it is time to build. Also, apart from the shifts that happen in life, also what about my strength? A time will come when I will not, even if I wanted to, I would not have the strength to. One of the most humbling things that happened to me for the second time in life was pregnancy. First child, okay, second child, Judah dealt with me, my God. Now I understand they call him the lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah was a lion and he dealt with me. Every, I could not believe it. I became so weak, so weak. So that by the time COVID hit, now cry, they cry. So here am I in Canada with a baby breastfeeding. Breastfeeding is not breastfeeding. Do you understand? I'm making milk. My mother is telling me, hey, my dad, you try to drink this akamu. Maybe the milk will come out. Then I decided, mommy, but the baby could not latch on the food. And you know, I was exhausted. I was crying. I was stuck in Canada. I'm looking at the TV. I think, ah, oh, man. And I will say to myself, hell. If only I was not, if I didn't have baby now, this would have been the season when I would be, pr ah, COVID would have, would have heard from me. What? I would have been preaching every day. I would have had unending prayer ring. Every day wake up. So there was a part of me that felt like, ah, this could have been a season of great transition for me. But I was stuck in pain. I was stuck in shame. I was stuck in fear. I was stuck in marital trouble. I was stuck in all kinds of stuck. In fact, you know, there's a way they say I was stogged. That's S-T-O-G-G-E-D. Oh, I was stogged. You know, I was stogged. Thank you for spelling it, Pastor Steph. You know, I was stogged. And I could not do. <laughs> and I could not get anything done. You know, so that season happened. 
Imagine what will happen. 70. Yes, I may still be preaching. 80. But it can't be the way that I'm doing it now, now. Even if I want to jump about, <laughs> my waist will tell me, Auntie, respect your safe. So this is the time to work where there is yet strength. Because a time will come where the things that you seek to do, you will not be able to do them. So like Absalom, rise up early and go to the gate early. Possess the gatekeepers early. You get what I'm talking about? While it is yet day. So he rose up and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, listen to me, Absalom was not shooting for everybody. Absalom was shooting for only people who had controversies. Ah! Oh, I need to preach this sermon. God, help me. Controversy in itself and the troubling of heart and unresolved issue is a gate. Can I go there, please? He was not shooting for just anybody. He was shooting for the people that had controversies and needed the king's judgment. Do you understand how it works? When they are coming for people in your camp, they do not come for the ones whose hearts are resolved and whose hearts are fine and whose hearts are set. They come for the ones who have controversies in their heart. The people with controversies in their heart are the targets. So once controversy is rising in the heart of a person, I have been a leader for at least 20 years. Let's not count the years when I was a child leader. Is there anything like that? Ch child leader at 11, at 12, at 13. In fact, as far back as I can remember myself, I was either class captain or senior, or, and I was never senior prefect because I didn't really know book like that, but I just had leadership grace. So I was never senior prefect, but I was always one prefect or the other. I have been a leader. But let's even just say only the church one. And I can categorically tell you that Satan's greatest target within your camp are always those who have controversy in their hearts. Controversy. Controversy is a gate that can either allow the counsel of God to enter and fill you up and give you wisdom. Or it can become a gate through which Satan will enter and infiltrate and derail you from David and derail you to Absalom. Remember, David and Absalom are not just people. David in himself is not just a man in this teaching. David can become the will of God, God's set order, God's government, God's prescribed destiny for you once there's controversy in your heart and you do not arrive at david just know that once you take counsel from absalom you are bound to praise an absalomic direction above above a davidic direction look at what happened to the people so every time there's a controversy staring in my heart i am quick to take it to god once this controversy starts to stare about a friend, about a person, about a place, about a calling, or once it's even, even my, at some point, I started to get a bit lethargic in ministry because I started to feel like, ah, why am I giving everything? So sometimes when it's time to pay salary and the ministry doesn't have money, I will pull all my money, pay millions of naira. And I'm like, if I continue like this, I cannot be wealthy. 
if all I have, I'm giving, and the ministry is never able to take care of certain things itself. We have projects, we have things to do. I'm pulling out, I have to go to nations, I'm using my money to buy a ticket, and I'm going to bless. So at some point, I started to get upset and unhappy with the people. Can I confess here? Let, let's talk about it a little. Am I okay? Can PI go on, or at this point, you're like, adios PI, I'm not joining you in this exercise anymore. Only one person said yes. Ah, I will not talk. Oh. All right, fantastic. They say I can go ahead and confess my sin one to another. Thank you, Jesus. So my heart started grieving. And I started feeling like I, I, I can't do this anymore. It's, it's taking too much for me. You know, and I wasn't happy. I just wasn't happy anymore. So at that point, when somebody will say, MPI, I just, I just want to shut down for two days and come and spend two days with you so you can teach me. My mind, I'm like, teach yourself. Teach yourself. I'm not teaching, I'm not teaching anything. You see my back breaking. You see the work. You, are, you, you have the money. Not one day will you say, ah, how can I support the ministry? But you want me to give you two days of my life. I'm not doing an verse for all of you now. Do you get what I'm saying, I became, it was so painful. I was like, but why, Lord? And you know, <laughs> oh, anyway. So one of those days I went on my knees and I said, God, it wasn't burnt out. I wasn't burnt out. I was not burnt out. I was money out, resources out. It's not the work that was the problem. I had energy to work. I just was tired of not having resources to do the work. And so one of those days I went on my knees because I was like, ah, God, is this me? Is this like, and the Lord gave me a scripture where he showed me and he said, I need you to begin to pray for the people that you bless. He said, because the scripture that he showed me was a scripture that basically showed me that God was saying to me, Isi, you are right for feeling this way because it's the responsibility of the people to carry the burden of the gospel. It is not the priests that go to look for the sheep, that go to look for the lamb for the sacrifice, that go to look for the gold and the silver for the temple. It is not the responsibility of the priest. You give the priest to do that, you are breaking the back of the priest. And they can no longer um, attend to their office and responsibilities effectively. It is the people that bring the gold and the silver to build the temple. The priests attend to the ordinances of the temple. He says, so the people are in error. And even down to the priests, they are taken care of by the people. And God said to me, he said, you must do certain things. Number one, you have to let go. He said, allow me to take this controversy in your heart. And I started praying about it. Number two, he said, you have to teach the people. Start teaching people again about their responsibility towards the gospel. Teach people that they should not be blessed and not give back. It is an error. God began to tell me, I said, God, I beg, I beg, I don't. He said, no, you have to teach it. He, he then began to show me scriptures. How he said, if you don't, I'm going to hold them responsible. I will deal with the people by myself. He said, so for their sake, if you say you love them, teach them what is right. Then the third thing that God said to me, he said, pray for the people. He said, because you see this thing called stinginess in the church, it's actually a spirit responsible for it because he understands that gifts are doorways in the spirit realm. He understands that giving is a gate. 
So Satan, when he begins to attack your generosity, know that it's not your money. He's coming for your future. He's coming for your future. So God said, you have to pray. And I said, but Lord, but what if he said, is he then pray for them to be abundant? If you see the way I started praying for the people, I started praying for abundance. Abundance. I said, God, you will open the gates. Father, anyone connected to me, God said, you have to. He said, because, he said, I allowed you to get to this point because there was small pride inside you thinking, oh, I got it. You know, if I, if I cover it, I don't take anything from my ministry. You know, I, 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 I uh, God said, uh, shut up there, my friend. You are going to take from the ministry. The ministry has to take care of you. It's part of the order. I don't care how much you have. It's part of the order. So understand what I'm talking about here. I don't even know how we arrived at this corner that we have entered. Father God, in the name of Jesus, please help me. Okay, it's the gate. Uh -huh. We're talking about the gate. Rising up and possessing the gate on time. Controversy in the heart. Exactly, that's how we got there. Yeah, so because of the controversy in my heart, if I did not take that controversy quickly and present it before the Lord, do you know what that could potentially become? Do you know what that could potentially become? Because revelation will still abide in my mouth. But the thing that will be proceeding will be terrible. So Absalom's come for unresolved controversies. Unresolved. I have seen it happen in ministries. I have seen it happen in friendships. I have seen it happen between leaders, between number one and number twos. I have seen it over and over again. So one of the things I say to my people is, please find a way to tell me what exactly is on your heart. Don't do politics with me. Don't manage me. I'm not a baby. I'm an apostle. If the team pain me, I know my way back to God to deal with my hurt. It's not you that will help me. So it's okay. Just tell me what's really on your mind. Because without accurate information, I'll be discerning. I'll be sensing. And I'll be telling you what I'm sensing. You'll be telling me, ah, no, how can you think that? And then we'll be going deeper in this hole. Tell me exactly what's on your heart so that we can resolve it. Because lingering controversy is food for Absalom's. Are you understanding what I'm talking about? Lingering controversy. So you just woke up one day and you just began to think, why does P.I. talk like that? Every time she be talking, she was saying, do you understand? Does she think I'm a fool? And then the worst part is that that day, and I said, do you understand like 10 times? Ah! Controversy. So everything is now scratching your body. Please, deal with it. Because Satan can smell it from a distance. And that's where he'll pass and enter. You understand? He'll pass and enter and say, you see? See now. I've been telling you now. So that's why when Satan wants to destroy a home, the first thing he comes from is their nakedness. I was teaching you yesterday. The ability to be naked with one another. That's the first thing he comes from. Because anybody you cannot be naked with, you cannot communicate the pain of the controversy in your heart. You will not be true. So, and as long as you are not naked, you cannot deal with the issues that really is troubling the waters of the home. You get, so what's the solution when there's already controversy in the heart? Now, you have to go back to God. 
and pray. Like I said, first things first, pray and let the Lord know that I see this thing now and I see what it can potentially become and I see, oh God, that it is your will that it be resolved. So help me, Father. Do you understand? And ask the Lord for grace and for wisdom. And then ask the Lord, should I talk to this person? How do I have this conversation? Where do I have this conversation? Because sometimes you want to deal with a controversy, you, you want to talk to a person in Idumota market. It's going to become a controversial controversy. You have to also prepare the time for conversation. Why are there some things that the Lord does not tell you until you are crying on the floor in worship, your house is silent, and you are just there, you took a day off to be with the Lord. Then the Lord tells you, Jade, I don't like this thing. Why? Why did he wait for them? Because there's a time to deal with every controversy. So ask for the timing of the Lord, for the place, and then, God, am I to speak with this person, or is this something you can resolve for me, and I don't even need to have the conversation? So having difficult conversations is one of the things that I teach my teams. And I say to them, like, look, learn to have... It's like day before yesterday, one of them sent me voice notes, MPI, um, uh, you know that you said that we should always try our best to tell you when, some, when there's something you have done that we don't like. Honestly, Pierre, honestly, I, I, I can't help but tell you this one. And the, when I heard the matter, where I was, I was just laughing. It's a serious matter. This was not joking, very serious. So immediately I replied, I said, please, I am very sorry. I did not mean it like that. I was not trying to like, please, I apologize. And the thing about difficult conversations and resolving matters, resolving controversy is that you that have a controversy and the one that they have a controversy against, you must be ready to give a response. And I usually tell people that if you tell me this thing you did to me, I don't like it. Before I want to start explaining to you my parts, the first responsibility I have is to say, oh, I'm sorry. Hey, uh, uh, please, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean, oh, I didn't know it hurt you. I, I never planned to hurt you, but it is not my intention to do a thing like that to you. I'm sorry it has come across that way. You know, please just forgive me. Just please have mercy. Forgive me. You know, it does not reduce me as a leader. How, how does that take away my apostolic calling? If you now, you now become prideful and say, ah, she apologized to me. Uh -huh. It's you that is mumu. You don't understand how the spirit man works. So I'm not going to meet you on the level of your foolishness. But I'm going to stand in wisdom to do what is right. So that's the first obligation in, in the dealing with controversy. Because the moment you do that, what you have done is that you have opened the gates for peace. You've automatically showed the person that they can be comfortable with telling you their heart. And so even no matter what you find in a person's heart, you have to understand that when a person strips before you, the first thing to do is not to say, hey! is this the stomach that was under that ghetto? Yeah, Jesus! That person will never take their clothes off in front of you again. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about? The moment somebody strips, you're like, ah, and this your mole is very big. Oh. You, no, 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 you don't do that. You don't do that. The first thing to do is, even act as if you don't know that they are growing hair on their elbow, long hair that can fix weave on. 
Just pretend as if you don't know it's there. Because that is the protocol of dealing with nakedness. You cannot mock the nakedness of a person. I expect them to be naked in front of you again. You get what I'm saying? Then, number two, appreciate them for who they are. Appreciate them <laughs> for what it is. Because especially when you've made a covenant with the person. So it is useless to be insulting your wife or your husband every time they strip. What are you going to do? So you want to go outside and follow the one that does not have big stomach, that does not have big head. You are injuring yourself through fornication and adultery. So you might as well say, ah, wow, I love you so much. Ah, ah, fantastic. You see, this diet you are doing, once you just do it two weeks now, you see this, your belly, my God, hottest thing in Nigeria. It's for your own good. Because you don't get where you go, you have a covenant with them. In the same way, even in communication and dealing with controversy, especially when it's a person you have a covenant, because it's not everybody that comes to tell me I don't like that I will answer. I'll just look at you and say, hey, God be with you, he's going to help you, all right? God bless you, peace. But if I have, if I'm accountable to you and you're accountable to me, part of my obligation is to listen to the controversy in your heart and see where I can step in and my responsibility for dealing with it. So it is very easy for me to, ah, uh -uh, sorry. And I will, sometimes I will articulate the sorry in 10 different paragraphs to explain to you how deeply apologetic I am concerning what I have done knowingly or unknowingly. Now, when you have that kind of thing, it begins to help you deal with the controversies. I don't know if I was helpful, Jaddy. So you pray and you check yourself also because some controversies are not really about the people, it's about you. It's about your perception, it's about your heart state, it's about your fear, it's about your insecurities. So you have to deal with it like that. So Absalom comes for the controversies that have not been dealt with, the ones that David should have attended to that he did not attend to. So Absalom comes for those controversy. You understand? And everyone that came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is of so 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 tribe. And Absalom will say unto him, See, thy matters are, are good and right, but there is no man in Israel, um, and there is no man. And there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom, you know. So what does Absalom do? He will know that this one has controversy. The first thing he will tell you, your, your, your issue is good and it is right. Be careful of people. Hear me, leader, and I'm going to end here. We will continue with Absalom tomorrow. And by the time we end tomorrow, I'm going to tell you seven things about Absalom. You know that you have to deal with. Of course, we're going to talk about the Mordecai at the gate. We're going to talk about the Sambalat and the Tobias. And we're going to talk about Lot at the gate of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, um, but tonight, I'm just going to Kilisande Kabarieska and call it here tonight. What I want to say to you is that be careful of people who, when other people, they are close to you. They have right and access to you. But every time other people have issues with you, they go and attend to the issue. They are quick to always want to pacify the people and tell the people, you are right. Don't worry, I'm here for you. And they never come back to you to say, ah, 
Oh, sir, this person has a problem with you. Find a way to deal with it. Here is what I told them. Now, this is what you can do and how you can do. They resolve the issue for their own glory, not even for your sake. And they say, ah, ah, I am here. There's no one deputed to do it. You know, Pia has become so busy. This teacher doesn't know why I'm here for you anytime you need me. Be careful. They are building their own economy. They are, manage, they are creating their own house management within your own house management. And one day, their own house management will outgrow your own house management. It happens in businesses. It happens in organizations. It happens in government systems. It happens in ministries. It happens in friendships. It happens in marriages. It happens everywhere. Everywhere. It's an absolomic principle. He first makes himself look great. And present the sense of independence. Even though I'm here, I have run my own government. And then everybody with a controversy, he comes for the controversy. And then says to you, your controversy is right. You are correct. Everybody is correct. The one that came against you is correct. And you that came against that one, you are correct. Why? Because to win all to themselves. Why do you have to deal with Absalom's? Because you have an economy to possess. Absalom may seem like a fly to you today, but Absalom can grow really quickly. The more he takes the controversy in the heart of people, the more he grows in favor with the people. Listen to me. I'm not talking about church, and I've been saying it over and over again. I'm talking about principles for life, principles for winning. If a president is listening to me now, believe me, the president will understand this sermon more, more than most of the born again Christians on this group. The president will understand it better. If a governor is listening to me now, they understand it better. If an MD is listening to me, they understand it better than most other people. Because they understand this principle that I'm teaching. They will be writing down now, while some of you are chewing Kuli Kuli and drinking Gary at this time with my access sermon. May God have mercy on you. So what I'm saying to you is that because you are called to possess economic gates, you cannot be foolish, neither can you be lax about the people that stand at your gates. Are we together? Because God is calling you into a new day. God is calling you into a new season. Promotion is being placed on you. Increase is being placed on you. Expansion is coming to you. Listen to me. Never apologize for being wise. Never feel guilty for dealing with things on time because you are going to be saving yourself great disaster in the future. Great disaster. Remember, there are indirect attacks from hell. And, so, and ultimately, what they are coming for is the legitimacy of your throne of your right to carry eternal inheritance here on earth. They are coming for your legacy and your future. Guard your gates. And may God bless you. May God make you wise. May God make you strong. May God fortify you on every side. Take out your communion. Every part of your life where there's an Absalom standing at your gates, even the Absaloms at the gate of your spouse's hearts, there are some Absaloms there. 
and they are coming for the controversy in your spouse's heart. And they are saying, ah, well, I don't really know, Sha. If this is how your friend, your wife does, well, me, I, I, I cook three, a balanced diet for my fiance. So I don't know why she just gives you only apple and a goosey. She doesn't give you like ice cream for dessert. Oh, she doesn't give you fruits before. Wow, that's so strange. Every Absalom friend, every Absalom girlfriend in the making, fire in the name of Jesus. May God give you the ability to smell them from a distance. The ones that come riding with their 50 men and chariots and horses, declaring that, oh, me, I am great. But the real purpose, they are not great. They need what you have. May God make you wise to discern them in the name of the Lord Jesus. Those that are coming for the strength of your throne and the strength of your voice, that are coming for your oil, may God ultimately take them down and uproot them from your midst in the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, we raise the bread and we raise the wine. Lord, we are committed to growth. We are committed to revelation. We are committed to access. We are committed to increase. We are committed to truth. We are committed to power. We are committed to your will. Show us the way. You said every time we eat the bread and every time we drink the wine, we should do so in remembrance of you. Father, we are studying the word to remember who Jesus is, to have him locked into our spirit. So God, we do this in remembrance of you. Seal this revelation inside of us so that when the day comes, we may walk effectively. Jesus, thank you because you are our sufficiency and our strength. We do this to the praise and glory of your name, now and forevermore. Amen. You may eat and you may drink. Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to commend all of you for your diligence. Um, just being able to sit down here every day. I, you know, for me, the teacher, I know what it's taking from me, you know, um, to come in the morning and to come in the evening. But like I said to you at the beginning of this access, I'm committed to your growth. I'm committed to the progress of your life. I'm committed to your deliverance and liberty. I'm committed. That's why I'm getting up every time, every time. And God help me. I see that next month again, I will find another time. We'll do access again. I don't know how it will be in December, you know, considering it's going to be my birthday season. But we must access well. We will end the year well. Maybe towards the end of the year, we'll do maybe like three days. But January, we are going to be here for 21 days. So get ready for 21 days in January, fasting, praying. That's how we get energy in people of influence. So you see us, we are like small, small, how many people, but we move with power because we sealed the year from the beginning. You understand? So the head of the year will come, you know, in January again, we'll fast, we'll pray, we'll learn, we'll teach. So get ready for this journey of growth. Um, get ready. Stay with me. I keep saying invite people. Don't come alone. Change the life of somebody. Empower somebody else because you just never know um, what they need, this liberty that they need. So God will bless you. Tomorrow will continue. Tomorrow is meant to be the last day of access. Can you believe it? I just feel like we don't have enough time. 
You know, we're just still on Absalom. Yes, Olufumike, 21 days. Don't worry, you won't die. You'll be fine. You'll say we'll make it. Before you know what's happening, we're finished. You know, so, um, and think about it. What we have is, you know, 14 sessions, that's 28. 28 Sundays. How many Sundays do you have in a year? Think about, we have done the church that people will do for six months, seven months. That's the church we have done. You understand? Um, in this last, so don't take for granted what's happening to you. Don't take it. Your physical environment may not change, but I'm telling you, you've moved. You've moved. You, the compounded effect of the word. Anything the word falls upon, it breaks. And anything that falls upon the word shatters. It's, it's that simple. So you are no more, you are, your life and your problems are not more powerful than the word of the Lord. So you are showing up here every day. God has blessed you already. God has blessed you. You have to see it. You know, and I pray you stay activated in Jesus' name. Um, Pastor Stephanie, I, I don't know if you have any spots for people at the shift, but you can still join the shift and the luminary um, exclusive mentorship program, the EC Genegba mentorship program for the 12 people is open. So I don't know if Pastor Stephanie has the link. You can go on ahead and click on it. And if you believe it's for you, go ahead. Don't even think twice about it. And I'm the kind of person that when I don't want to do something, I will dilly-dally, dilly-dally. But the moment I lock into a thing, because I can see it, I birth it. And so I'm telling you, I'm so locked into those 12 people. I'm so locked in. Even though this afternoon, Pastor Steph was saying, P.I., are you sure you will make it... Um, 15 20 but let's see but i'm so locked in you know to delivering them i'm looking forward to um our time you know the retreat um that we're going to have during the part of that seven months the cause of that seven months and it's going to be a nation that we're all going to enjoy maybe we'll just go to portugal or go to spain but it's going to be a retreat you know our, with the people like i said for those on the program you are not paying anything for that you just have to buy your ticket and show up so everything else will be locked into the program you know um um also it's going to be teachings all kinds of teachings i'm going to teach you properly consistently you're going to have access to materials to assignments to projects um podcasts specially created for just you guys to listen to every day um, you know, sermons, um, you know, journals, devotionals, all kinds of things. I've poured in so much into preparing for this group of people. Like, it's not for everyone. So when you click the link and you see it, even when you see the course that you're like, ah, yeah, it's okay, it's fine. I'm not looking for everybody, actually. There are other programs that is for everybody, but this is locked into, locked in for um, a few people and I'm ready um, to take them on that journey. Pastor Stephanie, I'm not seeing the link here. Um, so get the link from El Praise and paste it so that people can just go straight up to the site. Um, God bless you all and um, I will see you tomorrow. I really don't know how tomorrow is going to go. That's the issue I'm having now. I'm just a bit um, torn. I'm not sure how tomorrow is going to go. Uh, we're going to have a worship session. But we haven't finished teaching, so maybe we'll do the worship session in the evening. We can end with that, right? So just get ready tomorrow evening. Let's see how it goes. Uh, my nanny is not going to be around, so I don't know how I'm going to handle my kids and do shift so, and do access. So let's just see how it goes. So, 
yeah i see you all tomorrow ask um, shift family get ready get ready get ready get ready get ready for the shift uh i'll see you tomorrow morning look at me now at this time oh my ginger god help me sleep all right i love i love i love i love i love you guys and i'm so grateful for you and i'm so happy i get to do this with you everybody here is amazing you know when i see you on the chats you know all your comments and all your laughter and all your jokes and it's just so beautiful and i just love engaging with everybody um, i feel like i know you and i can't wait for our retreat next year the one for access that everybody's invited to i can't wait for that one you know so god bless you all i love you and i will see you in the morning all right bye